All right, friends, thanks for connecting to one another. I'm glad you're able to do that. Please continue doing that. Uh, right now, though, we'd love for you to grab your seat. Get comfortable. If you have a Bible, you like to read a paper Bible, uh, uh, pull that guy out. And um, otherwise, all the passages will be on the screen um, today. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. I'm thrilled that you're here uh, with us today and you made it. It was a morning they were like, who knows? This could be a wild. I don't think I've, I think I've spent, I just told someone, I think I spent the most time chipping ice. This was the record this morning, at least this year. Chip and ice. I did. I hit a point where I yelled. I don't know if anyone else has ever done that, but at 6:45, my neighbors heard me probably yell. It's just that pastor yelling. <laughs> I was way to church. I was very frustrated with the ice. Um, I asked this question today for a, for a reason. I uh, one of my early introductions to the church and to Christians had to do with this. I remember uh, being on campus at the University of Wisconsin in Platteville, and I was talking to some kids that I had met, some college students, uh, and one of them was sharing with me um, all these foods that he wasn't eating, mostly like tasty things, like candy and sweets and things. He said, oh, I don't, I don't eat that during Lent. And I knew Lent because I grew up in, in a tradition that we celebrated Lent, but I didn't really know what it was. I just knew that like my mom didn't eat chocolate um, during Lent and that not long after that, the Easter bunny came. And so he said, well, if you're a Christian, you can't eat sweets during Lent. And it for sure delayed my conversion. (laughs) I remember thinking, oh, I was kind of close to considering this, but now I got to really rethink this. 40 days a year, you can't eat sweets? I remember the feeling and thinking, oh, okay. And for me, it fit right into the uh, kind of matrix of what I thought a Christian was, of like there's a lot of rules to follow and you got to do these things to make God happy. Um, which isn't, isn't, and for many of, of us, probably many of you, there's a celebration of the season of Lent. Maybe you've never heard of Lent, um, but Lent, I'm saying L E N T, Lent, is a season that could mean lots of things and it just started. So maybe this is something that you, you already started celebrating, um, or maybe something you've heard about, or maybe a friend that you work with talked about it. And there's some things that kind of come with Lent as we think of this season. It's the 40 days that lead up to Good Friday and Easter. So it's a big time in the church calendar and season. And some things that we see during Lent, which just happened on Ash Wednesday, is uh, people had ash, uh, usually a sign of a cross written on their heads. I don't know if anyone went and did that. Some people are able to do that. In my tradition, that's what we did. We grew up um, going on Ash Wednesday, and I didn't know why. Um, but we had ash put on our heads. Otherwise, uh, this term prayer and fasting comes up often during Lent. People maybe take time to fast, not even eat a meal a day, or once a week they don't eat a meal, um, and they take some extra time to pray. Uh, fasting, uh, Lent, oftentimes, if, I, if you Google Lent, one of the first things that comes up is like, why I don't eat chocolate. Chocolate apparently is the, is the go-to fasting item. Um, so I think it's because it's so tasty, it feels like extra spiritual maybe to like not do it. Um, I know for us, potlucks were a big deal for me growing up. Anyone grew up with a church where every Wednesday in Lent, we got to have potlucks at church? That is really my, when I think of Lent, I think don't eat food and then eat a lot of food on Wednesdays. <laughs> There's a lot tied to like the eating of food. Oh, this just feels like home to me. You go to a table full of hot dishes 
uh, on Lent. Every Wednesday night, we have a special service. Or Lent maybe could uh, mean, I actually recently talked to a friend. He said, Lent is just like Advent, which is the season before Christmas, as we anticipate the coming of Christ. He said, it's like that, except we're celebrating that Jesus gets to die soon, which feels kind of <laughs> sad. You're like, you're meeting, you're gathering to celebrate Jesus' death, which we, we do celebrate that, but it's not really necessarily that. Also, Lent, you know Lent's coming when you go to McDonald's, right? And the fish sandwich is like highlighted on the screen. Uh, we went there this week and we, I went, oh, wow, how often do they highlight the fish sandwich? It's Lent. It must be Lent. And ultimately, Lent uh, really is a season that leads up to Easter. It's a season where it ends with Holy Week, which is a time where we celebrate Jesus coming into the city. If you remember the story on a donkey, uh, there's palm branches. We have Palm Sunday. There's the Last Supper. Jesus is uh, crucified. He's put in a grave. He, he, he raises from the dead. All that happens that one week that we celebrate each year because it is worth celebrating. But I bring this up because this season just started. It can be a time to kind of remind ourselves of our need for Jesus, the gift of grace that he's given us. For me, many years, it would kind of drift when I did understand what it was, it would drift into times of maybe giving something up or suffering a little extra. It kind of felt like this was a good spiritual practice because it made Jesus happy. I remember thinking, well, he died for me and suffered, so I should like not eat chocolate because then it's kind of like I feel like what he felt like. <laughs> I'm sure he's like, oh yeah, dying on a cross for you felt a lot like giving up Hershey bars. Um, it, it becomes, if I'm not careful really a not very gospel-y, that's a word I made up, gospel-like time, it becomes a season where I sacrifice because it somehow makes me feel like I'm doing something so that must make God happier, which a lot, often in my life, this is a cycle that I find myself. Maybe you too, a time where you, you think I can do these things and it makes God happy, right? It's just a, it's kind of the classic worship of a God that we see throughout scripture and all the time, right? We come and like give sacrifices and we make some exchange and God then has to give us something. And so if we're not careful, this time can look like that. Hopefully not. This, this year, I'm actually uh, excited. I'm, I'm doing some things with some other uh, men here in our church, celebrating Lent, just reading some scripture, taking some extra time to pray each day, just remembering um, how good Jesus is. And it's been helpful. And I actually every day have to be like, you're doing this just to remember who Jesus is. Now, so the season of Lent started... Um, Starts when we see in scripture about the time that we uh, left off from last week. Last week we were in the book of Ephesians, but we, we went back and looked at this story of Lazarus where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That's kind of where this story, uh, the season of Lent, as we look in scripture, actually starts. So let's remember what happened last week and Lazarus. Last week, we heard about a guy named Lazarus, Jesus' friend, and he was dying. In fact, he actually had died. Jesus then goes and hangs out with him, uh, with his, his family and a bunch of mourners who are, are mourning, they're grieving death that, that's happened. Jesus actually weeps, and this is the passage over here that Jesus wept. He, he weeps, he cares for them, he, he uh, has this great mercy and love for these people and for Lazarus and he weeps with them, but then he doesn't stay there. He raises Lazarus from the dead. It's this incredible story. One of my all-time favorites, and it's cool because it's really like a little mini a foreshadowing, like a mini story of what we're about to see as Jesus goes and raises from the dead. 
he opens that tomb and tells Lazarus to walk out. But the story doesn't end there. He says, come on out. He comes out and Jesus then tells him right away, take off your grave clothes, those deathly garments that you have on and go. There's this moment where we get this great image of Lazarus coming out with deathly clothes and he takes those clothes off, putting on Jesus and clothes of life. And that's really, for me, a long time, that was the end of the story. I heard that and I went, oh, that's really cool. And I started wondering what happened to Lazarus or like other people. That's a pretty incredible thing to see. What happened? Well, the story goes on actually right after this. They have a meal to celebrate this. Makes sense, right? What do you do for someone who raised you from the dead? What gift do you buy them? Well, it looks like you have them over for dinner and you celebrate. And it says Jesus and his disciples are reclining and eating together, enjoying time together. And um, they're celebrating that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. People want to see Lazarus even and just celebrate that you're, he's alive. Mary, Lazarus' sister, comes over and she takes this really expensive bottle of perfume. In fact, so expensive, it would have been worth almost a year's wages. If you could imagine this expensive perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet and she wipes it with her hair. This, this symbol of honor to him, of respect. Ultimately, this symbol of saying like, you are king, you're the Messiah, you're Lord of Lords. It's this, this uh, symbolic way of her saying like, you are, you're it. You're, you're the one, I, we worship you. Judas actually gets upset with her because he says that was it was worth a lot of money. You could have sold that and given it to the poor. Or in scripture, we actually are told Judas actually just wanted that money because he was stealing from uh, the, the disciples' money. But then we get to this moment uh, where we hear crowds start to gather. It says, while this is happening, while she is showing and, and saying to him, you are your Lord of Lords and King of Kings, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you raised my brother from the dead. It says, meanwhile, these crowds are gathering. Why? Well, of course, because they heard what happens. This person raises people from the dead. It says, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. I love this. It's, not, it's to see Jesus, but really to see it's this story, right? See, did this really happen? This person raised from the dead, did he pull him from death to life whom he had raised from the dead? So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. You see what happens here? Lazarus is raised from the dead. He's given new life. He joins Jesus and Jesus' mission. And now his life is a story of this great power that Jesus has. His life becomes uh, uh, visibly, like you get to encounter the, the death and the resurrection of a person and hear what Jesus has done. And what does it do? It causes more people to put faith and believe in Jesus. It's really cool. It's, Lazarus didn't just raise from the dead and he said like, just hang out and don't die again. And I'm gonna go do some stuff and then someday I'll come back and make things right. He doesn't just save him and say like, you guys all hang out and start a church? Like maybe have some potlucks and hang out and I'm gonna go do stuff. He, he says, come with me. In fact, not just with him, but Lazarus joins not just for the joyful moments, but also now he gets to be in the, the murder plot. They're like, we might have to take out this Lazarus guy too because he's also bringing people to Jesus. He's all in on this mission of Jesus. 
I share this because, and I, I continue this story because we're gonna um, finish this, this part of Ephesians today that we've been in. And this part of Ephesians encourages us with this reality that we too have been raised from the dead, that we've been given life. It also tells us, take off your graving clothes and go. It says, go join the mission of God. And so it answers a really important question that I think most of us have, maybe every day you have. There's many mornings I wake up, I think I look in the mirror and I say, do I have a purpose today? A mission? And I think the gospel of Jesus, this good news we have, gives us a pretty incredible mission and purpose. And so we're going to look at that today. We're in a series in Ephesians, uh, and we've been looking at the beginning of Ephesians 2. And I uh, this... this passage in Ephesians 2, these 10 verses is one that if we, we believe these to be true, it, it changes everything. Um, and so I want to just read, recap for us what we've been reading as we look at this important passage. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It tells us we were dead. Deserving wrath. Following just our passions and our cravings. Following the, the orders of the king of the air, uh, the Satan and our own flesh, which brought, brings death. Here's the great verse, right? We get to verse four and everything changes. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. We looked at this last week and we just were reminded who God is. That we, we gotta be careful in these passages sometimes we read them and then we go, tell me about me, tell me about me. What does this say about me? And these passages continue as all Ephesians has to tell us all about this God, who we worship. It told us some really important things. That our God is love, that he's merciful. And just these few verses, that he's a razor upper. I'm standing by that, by the way. Last week someone was like, that's not a real word, Drew. <laughs> Those are real words. He's a razor upper. He's with us now and in the future, and he's rich in grace. And this passage ends not just saying you were dead and then you were rescued, but giving us a mission and a purpose. It says next, is for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this is where we're gonna to land today. And there's a few things that are gonna be really helpful to understand why is this so important for us to understand? We're gonna start just with the first part here. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. Maybe a, a verse if you've been a Christian, even just for a little while, this is a verse that's very well Known for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's, it's crucial and foundational to our beliefs, right? That God has done something to rescue us 
and we just can have faith in what the work he has done. This word grace uh, maybe is a word that you have heard um, or that we know, but it, it's a word that just means it's an undeserved gift. Not just God thought like, hey, here, here's something for you. And you're like, oh, that was nice, but like, you, you don't deserve this. You are dead. You have, you've ran from me. You've been disobedient and unkind. You, you don't deserve gifts right now. You deserve wrath and to be dead. But instead, I'm giving you the gift of life. I'm raising you from the dead. And how, and how do you get that gift? You have faith. You believe. Just like we hear in the story with Lazarus, people came and saw the story of a man who was raised from the dead, and they believed. They said, yes, I believe Jesus is the one who can do this. He's the one who raises from the dead. I put my worship in him, my faith in him, my hope in him. And I love in this passage, uh, Paul, who is writing this, just knows uh, us, knows what a human, it, what the condition of a human is. It says, this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. He's just like even reiterating. He's saying, hey, here's this free gift that saved you. It's a free gift. It saved you. This gift was free. It wasn't you that did it. And then he even adds, not by works so that you can boast. I mean, how quick as I'm reading this passage, I hear you were saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. And even in that dash before verse nine, I already start, just at least a little part of me starts going, man, Drew, you must've done something cool. You must've done something God wants. Or like, or you better go do some stuff so God doesn't like kick you out. He says, no, right away. It's not because you did something. Can we make this clear? He has to say it over and over again to make it clear. I remember when I was a kid, my mom sent me with this like mini Mart gas station that was a few blocks away. And she sent me once and she said, Drew, here's money and you're gonna, get, you're gonna get bread. We just need a loaf of bread. We're making some grilled cheese. Can you go get some bread? And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. And she goes, hold on. And she made me like look her in the eyes, you know, like a good mom stare. Bread, right? What are you getting? And I'm like, bread, I know it's bread. I know it's bread. She's like, what are you not getting? Anything else, right? No candy. She knew. <laughs> she knew. Bread. I was like, yes. And I remember walking out of the house and she opens the door and she's like, all right, be safe. Only bread. Because, you know, it's me. <laughs> and what did I come home with? Not bread. I came home with some candy bars and a question. Hey, mom, I couldn't remember what I was supposed to get. I got there and there was all this stuff. Hey, well, she was thrilled, I'm sure cool, now we have candy. So we just, we just put Hershey bars and cheese together. We had made Hershey bar grilled cheeses. No. I, I think though, there, in a sense, right, he's saying over and over this passage is really just saying, we get it, Paul. And he's like, you get it, but you don't get it. How quick you're going to go. It's what I do. It, that, that's what defines who I am. And I got to scramble. I'd love to not only say that I did good things and God wants to, but I'd love to be able to say I did more than that person. I'd love to just feel like I gave something to this. Uh, Lynn Kohick says this in her commentary. She says, God's grace calls, it saves, it brings life. God's grace pursues those who are running from him. There's just this, this, this word grace has such grand meaning. It's calling us, it's saving us, it's bringing life. It's running after us when we were still sinners Christ dies for us. God's grace is grounded in and grows from his bottomless love, which we saw in verse four. 
this is incredible, this work he's done. We're going to sing a song later uh, that has these words in it. Again, just saying it's grace alone, this, this gift alone. By your blood, I have redemption and salvation. Lord, you died that I might reap what you have sown. Your death gives me this gift. And you rose that I might be a new creation. I am born again by grace and grace alone. We say this word all the time, all the time. And uh, I don't know how much we just sit in it and go like, do you understand? You're saying it's nothing I did. It's a God who came and rescued me. Mincy J. Smith uh, writes in a commentary here. She says, our deliverance comes from God's grace, which is bound up in God's raising of Jesus Christ. Your deliverance or salvation is a gift of God. This is the part, this, I love this. There are no strings attached to this inheritance. No inheritance tax, no stipulations, no work or services to perform, no limitations on our deliverance. It feels almost like there should, there's a contract. You say, oh, thanks God. And he goes like, oh, but by the way, you did read the fine print, right? There's a couple of fees you got to pay. There's a, little, you know, there's a few things. I did most of it, but there's still a few things. Like really, nothing's free. Speaking of parents, I heard that many times from my dad. Nothing's really free. There's one thing that's really free. This good grace that we have. And so what if we were dead? And what if God raised us from the dead? And what if he, he didn't just raise us and save us and, put, and give us a life? But what if he has even more for us, which he does? It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is pretty incredible. On a day when I feel like I don't know what I have to give, it seems like what I'm giving doesn't help. It says God has raised you from that. You are dead in the tomb like Lazarus. He pulls you out. He pulls off your deathly clothes. And now your handiwork. In some versions, it says you're his masterpiece. He's taken you from dead to a masterpiece because of his work. He creates you in Christ Jesus. This, this verbiage here, it's like a, it makes us, reminds us of even creation again. It's like he, you're a new creation we hear in scripture. You're, you're created again. It's like God has said, remember back in the garden when I made you and you had this great purpose and this significance? I'm making you again. This is my work that I've done. And you're not just made again to sit. You're made with this great purpose now to do good works. And I prepared that a long time ago. I've had a plan for you and to rescue you and have you join so that more people could be raised from the dead and more people could hear that story. It's pretty incredible. It's a passage that might uh, would hopefully encourage you. Maybe it would bring about even a little anxiety like, okay, that's a big job. I got to go figure out how to go do good works. I love uh, how, how uh, Mitzi Smith says this, good works cannot bring about deliverance, but we are saved so that we may produce good works. We are created for the purpose of doing good works. It is part of our destiny. Do you hear how the order here she says this? It doesn't bring about our deliverance. How quickly we read verse 10 and verse 10 becomes how we were saved. Or even like, he knows I'm gonna do some good stuff and that's why he saved me. You were dead, you were useless and he pulls you out of the grave and saves you and now that you've been saved, you get to join him 
in doing his good works. This, might, this has been helpful for me to think. There's this grace, right, that has saved us. It saved us from something, and it saved us to something. Sometimes I, I, I can just sit and go like, God saved me. Okay, now I'm going to go back to what I was doing. But it saved you to be a new person, and it's rescued us from death, but it saved us to good works. And for me, I feel a little anxiety, like I just shared about what, what is a good work? Do I have to now figure out the best way? I got to do the best thing, the nicest thing. I, I want people to know that th- this is the, re- the good, good thing, like capital good thing. I don't want to be one of those people who just doesn't do enough. Right now, I'm fa- now you're, you're, you're falling back into this other system where you do good things and it makes God happy. He's asking you not just to go off and do good things, but join him to sit with him and have a meal. And as people come, you get to share the story of your death and resurrection. Because I find myself not doing real good things. So I find myself sinning, right? I still, I've been rescued. I put faith in Christ. And so this grace has rescued me, but now I'm here. I still feel brokenness. I still see myself yelling at my kids or being selfish with kind of everything, right? My money or anything that God's given me. I find myself manipulating maybe even just slightly a person to get what I want or hurting a person with words or maybe even just myself with thoughts, stuff still seems broken. Because I, I got to remember that I'm really just joining God's work. I've been rescued from death to joining God in his work. This is where um, Ephesians 2 is so important. In Larry Crabb's book, uh, Effective Biblical Counseling, he talks about something I think will help, help us understand why believing Ephesians 2 is so important uh, to our, our pursuit of good work. He says that we have deficit motivation. It's like there's something lacking, and therefore I need to spend my time and my talents and my treasure and my ticker, my heart, right? The time I'm given the way I've been gifted, my skills, the treasure, that things that God has given me and my heart. We had a series recently that we talked about these four things. I think back in November, um, what does it look like to overflow those things? And so I, I have, if I have a deficit, if there's a hole and I need to figure out how to, to kind of complete myself, I, I need to go after things. I need to spend my time working hard to fill that. And so I end up using my time and my treasure and my ticker, those things, to fill those things. Larry Crabb would say there's two significant things that you're looking for, right, to fill that. You're, the deficit is in safety and significance. So ultimately at like the core, core level, we're, we're running after working our tails off all day to find safety and to find significance. First, just to find safety that, that you're okay that you're going to survive, that you're loved. It's this foundation, this unshakable uh, place that we find ourselves rooted, often in just an unshakable relationship that can bring us safety, right? We find this in all sorts of things that we run after. You can just list them, right? The things that you go after to make yourself feel loved, that you're going to survive, that you're going to make it, maybe just that you're not going to suffer. And so, I might spend my day, design my days 
working hard to get safety. I also might spend my time working hard to find significance, to find a purpose, a value. If I do this thing, if I say this thing, if I post this thing, then I will have value or significance. People will like me. You're working hard to find dignity or a mission, a purpose. You might put that into a person. Well, I can't believe how quick as a parent my child became my source, I thought, of my significance. I thought, okay, this person, pretty quickly I realized they didn't bring much safety to my home, but I quickly thought, okay, you're going to bring value to me. If you're a great little person, people are going to go, wow, look at that well-behaved young lady. Her dad must be the best, right? But it takes one trip to Kmart, one fit over not getting something, and like my whole world crumbles. The, that hole gets giant and I go like, ah, she's not my kid. Like everyone's looking at you and you're like, oh no, they all think I'm not valuable. I'm not a good dad. Because I like was using this other broken person. How terrible of me to try to use her to fill that void. So Larry is encouraging us and how important this is. He says, Satan has encouraged the development of a belief that we can meet our needs if we only had blank. We can feel that, right? We can, we can fulfill, we'd be ultimately fulfilled in safety and significance if I just had this thing or if I could make this thing work for me. The blank is filled indifferently depending on one's particular temperament and family and cultural background. This, it's amazing, like whoever you are, there's still this, this motivation. An unbelieving world, view, world system energized by Satan and appealing to our fleshly natures has squeezed us into the mold of assuming that something other than God offers personal reality and fulfillment. I love it. I, 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 I don't like, but I like the phrase is energized by Satan. Like there's this, the lies and my own flesh has squeezed me this moment. I go like, there's something out there that I can work for that will fill this, that will satisfy this, that will ultimately fill my safety and my significance. And so I spend my days working really hard to do it. That's why I work where I work. That's why I do what I do. That's how I talk to people the way I do. So I watch what I watch. It will somehow fulfill this. Some of the phrases he shares, he says, I must be financially successful in order to be significant, where my finances are worth uh, my financial worth equals my own personal worth. I must not be criticized if I want to be secure. Everyone must approve of me in everything I do or I can't be safe. Others must recognize my abilities if I'm to be significant. People need to know all the good things that I'm doing. My security depends, depends on my spiritual maturity. I will ultimately be secure if I know enough Bible or if I've prayed enough, or if people even at least perceive that I'm very spiritual. My, my significance depends on how successful my ministry is. Maybe that's just for me. How successful your good works are. How big your good works are. Have you ever felt the feeling like you, you watch like this inspirational video on Facebook of, of like a 12-year-old kid who did this like amazing thing and started a nonprofit? And then it ends, and instead of going like, how cool, I go, what have I done? 
as if like, oh shoot, I should have been doing more better works or I'm not significant. I must not fail, come short of some arbitrary defined standard of success, usually perfection, or I'm worthless. Anyone in the room feel a little of that? Like if perfection is the goal, I seem to not, not reach that very often. He says these things are fulfilled in our God. He meets our physical needs. We hear this in Matthew 6. Seek ye the first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things shall be added unto you. He meets us in our knowledge of tomorrow and our anxiety about what is to come. Take therefore no anxious thought for tomorrow. We hear also right after that in Matthew 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything let your requests be made known unto God. But God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. We have this great uh, truth in the great amount of love he gives us in our security and our significance. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Just in the passage we just read in Ephesians, because of his great love for you, he didn't leave you in the grave. And he's met our purpose and given us an incredible mission. A mission not just to make ourselves better or life okay, but he gives us a mission to join him in helping rescue people from the dead. So the gospel, Ephesians 2 here, just this truth that's in this, which is throughout all of scripture, just this truth, if we believe this truth, it would fully satisfy our safety and significance. Then what would we do? Then what would I spend the rest of my days doing? Because I've been planning my schedule in order to get safety and significance into my life. How am I going to spend my days now? All of a sudden I'm freed up. My calendar is really open. I showed up once uh, at work. I remember this. I was in high school. I worked at a hardware store. I showed up to work and I knew the night before uh, our, our, when you didn't work very hard, which might have been me when I was 16, the, the uh, owner of the hardware store would give you a, like a five-gallon bucket of all the nuts and bolts that had not been organized. Like there was just shelves of, of nuts and bolts and they just would be all over. He'd give you a bucket and you had to spend the next day like putting them back in the right spots. It was the worst job. And I remember getting up and being like, I know I have to do that tomorrow. I'm assigned to the nuts and bolts job. You know, I'm like, can I call in sick? Can I make him an excuse? And I got to work and the assistant manager, who was like another high school kid, had done it. He was like, yeah, last night after you got off work, I was like, man, it's kind of slow. And I know Drew doesn't want to do that. I did it. He just did it. I was like, that's the worst job in the world and you did it for me. I was like thrilled that I got to. I got to mop all day instead of sorting nuts and bolts. This is like a billion times better than that. The work has been done. You have safety and significance to a level you never could have imagined. And now we have this time and treasure and space. How are we going to fill our days? We get to fill our days joining God and his good work. You get to do good work now, not because it gets you into heaven or into his family, but because we just get to join him in it because now we're free to no longer scrape by and, 
and run after these things on our own. And so this brings us all the way back to the story of Lazarus. The gospel tells us not just that we were rescued and that one day we're in heaven, but that we were rescued and given this purpose and also freed from a life working towards things we'll never get. We're pulled from the grave and given life to join God's mission, to help bring his people back to himself, the way we were created to be. This isn't just a story of Lazarus. This is our story. You were pulled from death. You were resurrected. You were given life in Christ. You have a future. And brokenness will not always be. One day, sad things will come untrue. And their ultimate safety and significance will forever dwell with us. His name is Jesus, and we forever get to be with him. We get to do good works. We get to do what Lazarus did and join Jesus. We get to celebrate him and worship him. We get to share the story with those around us, how we were dead and Jesus raised us. It was nothing we did, and now we get to join him in it. We're going to talk more in Ephesians 3. We look at really what the mission of the church is, how God is using us to bring that great mystery and good news. I won't skip ahead, but in Ephesians 3, I'm excited for that. This brings us kind of to our uh, end here. Just a reminder, we, we talk about this a lot here at Hope Heights, but this is, this is another, just a moment to remember that we're just here to overflow. We are filled with this love, this grace, this mercy, this life, this justice and truth of God. And as that fills us, we get to overflow that. That's the good works. We get to move towards people with grace and love because we're filled with that. We get to speak truth in grace, knowing that it brings life, even when it's hard. Because we know that brings life. We, we get to give our time and our talents and our treasures and our tickers because the work has been done and now we have all this life ahead of us that we could do the work with Jesus. Jesus isn't looking for us to stop eating chocolates for 40 days to say thanks to him. He's asking us to lay down our lives and pick up his, which is true life, good life, and join his good works. I'm going to invite our, our team up here so we can worship him together. Our worship team's going to head up. And as they head up, I want to just read for you Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 again. I want you to, whatever you need to do, maybe you close your eyes, uh, maybe just read along. It'll be on the screen. Just to, this, this is it. If, if, you, if we, we read this, if we believe this is true, what this does is changes us and not just rescue us, but now it gives you something. We leave here different people with a different mission to bring good, capital G, good works of the good news. I'm gonna read it from the message. This is Eugene Peterson's, uh, his paraphrased version of the Bible in the message. It's just maybe to hear a little different. It's such a common passage that I want you to hear it differently. So just read along or just take this and just hear this as a prayer over you. This is true about who you are. And then we're gonna, respond by singing and worshiping God together. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. 
Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in the company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and next and and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Eugene's a little more forward on the end there. You better get going. I want you to consider a few things as we uh, take some time now to respond. We like to respond each morning a few different ways. We have communion out in the hallway. I encourage you to head out. We're going to be singing three songs. Take communion. It's an opportunity to remember who Christ is, what he did, his death that that brings about this opportunity for grace. Also, there's people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you for anything. Even if you don't know what to pray for, walk up to them and they'd love to just pray over you. Um, Also, an opportunity just to consider and reflect some questions and sing together. A few things I'd love for you to consider to you. Do you trust the work of Jesus to save you? This is where you get to say yes and put faith in Christ. Accept that grace. Maybe consider what Jesus has saved you from. What has he saved you to? Is one of those easier to think about? And where are you looking for safety and significance today? If it's not in Christ, good opportunity to maybe root some of that out. And then even consider what good works. Maybe a prayer today is what good works. Well, I get to join God in this week. Let me pray for us and then we're going to worship together. Lord, thank you for your kindness, your love for us, that you've rescued us, and that today we can say yes to you and join you in helping others know this good news. That death isn't the end. We can have life in you. I pray as we sing and worship and we take communion and we pray that all of that, Lord, would strengthen our hearts, that we'd be filled to the brim and that we'd be people who would overflow that grace and love to others and more would know you um, and know true life and true joy in you. Pray this in your great name. Amen.